and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 51. This week's poem is by Sherman Alexi, titled The Facebook Sonnet, another that comes courtesy of friend and Reed High School teacher Terry DeBarger. It was originally published in the May 16th, 2011 issue of The New Yorker. Our visit to social media poetics will need to wait, however, as we need to return to Instructions on Not Giving Up from Ada Limon which is itself a sonnet. It doesn't have a traditional rhyme scheme or meter, but there are clues here. For one, we have 14 lines. For another, there are more than a few lines in iambic pentameter, but not all. There's also the business of the poem's shift, sometimes called a turn, or in sonnets, the volta, which could be argued as occurring after the eighth line. This would make it a Petrarchan or an Italian sonnet, or after the twelfth, this would make the final lines an epiphany, the final part of a Shakespearean or English sonnet. None of these super nitty-gritty poetic details likely matter to my freshman students, so why do I bring them up? Well, as the year comes to an end, I'm realizing how tremendous their growth has been in reading poetry thoughtfully, and how clever their insights often are. I'm left thinking about the brilliance that might visit me when I see some of them again as seniors in my AP Lit course, where my students' great analysis gets to take its biggest, deepest breaths. But before we get too far into it, I need to share this poem with you again so we can have it in mind as we go through some of my students' wonderful analysis. Instructions on Not Giving Up, Ada Limon. More than the fuchsia funnels breaking out of the crabapple tree, more than the neighbor's almost obscene display of cherry limbs shoving their cotton-candy-colored blossoms to the slate sky of spring rains. It's the greening of the trees that really gets to me. When all the shock of white and taffy, the world's baubles and trinkets leave the pavement strewn with the confetti of aftermath, the leaves come, patient, plodding, a green skin growing over whatever winter did to us, a return to the strange idea of continuous living, despite the mess of us, the hurt, the empty. Fine, then. I'll take it, the tree seems to say, a new slick leaf unfurling like a fist to an open palm. I'll take it all. The first thing I'm going to bring up actually maybe is the least obvious, or the most obvious, actually, depending on your perspective. This is a poem that talks about hardship and difficulty. That comes through in the title, but also some of the details. But it is also explicitly a poem about nature. About nature as complex, and nature as beautiful, and nature as something that is ever-present. And a few students recognized the significance of nature, not just as a metaphor, as a means to create meaning, but as something to be enjoyed, something that's real in the poem. The student says that the poem showcases how people need to help nature instead of destroying it, and others said that if nature stayed the same color throughout the year, it would be dull, and it's a miracle that it changes. Now, of course, we can understand this metaphorically. It's great that lives are complicated and that they can go through cycles and bloom and all of that, but we must recognize that this is a poem that, in its details, in its wonderful descriptive phrases is celebrating nature and it's clear that the speaker and the poet 
have a love for nature that I think makes this a poem that is easier to enjoy if you share that love. Now, when we get into the, the movements of the poem, one of the things my students came to was talking about uh, the tone. A student said that the poem describes the annual cycle of trees regaining their leaves with confection-oriented adjectives, which is a great description, by the way, like cotton candy colored or having shock of taffy. These sweet words are a way of showing the speaker's affection. And that affectionate tone uh, gives way in some ways to what a student described as a reassuring tone. Meanwhile, we have other locations, especially towards the end, where we get lines that say, fine then, I'll take it all. This is an aggressive tone, according to a student, that shows the stubbornness of a tree that we should imitate, and also a kind of optimism. There are good things coming, this tone seems to say. Bad things can be overcome. We get a similar thing, uh, according to other students, when we get the descriptions of leaves opening, unfurling like a fist to an open palm. The speaker describes how the leaves prove that the tree is certain that it will survive the winter just as it has the winters before. A student points to the line regarding a green skin growing over whatever winter did to us and says that it seems that she's talking about how snow melts and reveals the graph. However, she's also implying that the distress that someone is feeling or may feel will slowly fade away. And the slowness actually was recognized by another student who noted that the leaves are described as plodding. This is an interesting choice, according to the student, because plodding means slow moving and unexciting. And sometimes recovery from something can be slow moving. It takes time. It takes process. It isn't a quick change, despite how worth it it might end up being. And now we're getting really into the metaphor of this poem, the central connection with nature and imagery and what it reveals to us about how we might be able to live as well. Ishtun described the imagery here as earthy visual imagery, which, yeah, it absolutely is. I think that is an effective description. Another points to the line that says, there is an almost obscene display of cherry limbs, as if the trees are at war with one another to see who can bloom the most. They're showing off in this way. Another student had a similar idea uh, along this, this competition, this war, describing the winter as a kind of battle that is lived through. And this winter, according to other, is an essential part, writing that from cold and lonely hibernation, the trees come back to life. This recovery inspires the speaker to describe it like a soldier that got out of a tough battle and continues its usual seasonal routine. And then we have these lovely descriptions uh, with phrases like fuchsia funnels or pavement strewn with the confetti. And one of my students noted that all of these things were actually quite distracting. It required the student to, to kind of stop and look closely at the details to figure out what was going on. She said that when not trying to give up, you may distract yourself and take what you can get. Maybe even pausing, I think, to recognize beauty that we see in this poem. And this is exactly the feeling that comes through when you're reading it. It's so dense with imagery that you can get lost in those details. And pausing to collect yourself is an important part of making sense of this poem and maybe experiences that we all kind of have to deal with. A few students saw the harshness of winter and the difficult struggles that come with life in this metaphor as an opportunity 
One wrote that the trees and flowers must endure the harsh winter, but afterward they get to bloom into beautiful flowers. And then, and then another notes that as hard as life gets, and even when you want to give up, look around you and notice the beautiful life you live in. This is a poem that is using visual imagery to convey the idea that the past doesn't matter nearly so much as the future that is ahead of us. And so to reach this future, to have this future available to us, there has to be a, a determination here. One student writes that trees don't give up during the winter months. They may lose leaves, but they're still alive. The snow may be overpowering during the winter, but the tree's beautiful green color will return. And along this line, another notes that although life can be tough sometimes, we will get through it and sort of rebloom like the trees that are the focus of this poem. And I think this reblooming here is important because a number of students brought up this idea that there's pain, but also this way of transforming pain. One writes that the poem uses natural imagery like the green of the tree to show this pain and how even something you love, like nature, can hurt you. Another points to the continuous living despite the mess of us. This, this us means we all experience a kind of winter, and it could show that the speaker is continuing to see beauty in life despite the mess and ugliness that it sometimes brings. The student says that the speaker states that she will make her fist into an open palm. She talks about how she's transforming this thing that could be anger, that could be a response to that pain, into something more welcoming and happy. And in the changes from green to pink to white, and all the changes that nature goes through, a student notes that this shows how they are resilient. They are susceptible not just to withholding, but also to changing with the challenge, with the passing of time. And this is something that people should attempt to imitate, to be flexible against the hardships that we face. The student writes that the feeling of growing over whatever winter did to us, this, this is a speaker moving on from the ugly to see something new, to see the gorgeous, a student writes. It's this idea that there's always something to be grateful for, even in the darkest, most challenging, most painful moments with another noting that this is a speaker who accepts the world for what it is and everything that comes with it. That includes the challenges that make life sometimes quite difficult, but it doesn't stop the speaker from loving it. This is a poem that students had a, a fairly consistent read of. There wasn't a lot of disparity in the ways that we looked at this poem and how students responded to that poem. And that's probably a good thing. We have a poem that's titled with the word instructions, and instructions should be capable of being followed to reach a product, to understand. But we did find a lot of nuance in there. Yes, we see nature as representing our experiences, but there's also so many complexities, be it seeing the bad and the good, seeing the opportunity for change, being undeterred by challenge. All of these are along this same narrative thread, thematic concept, but they're all intricacies that make the poem so much more complex than just that simple, you can do it, hoorah kind of message. Now, one addition that I'd like to make is that I found this poem's title to be really unassuming but also intensely interesting. It doesn't really stand out, really, and it even makes the thematic topic of the poem pretty obvious. We, we have this idea that 
poems are not supposed to make their ideas obvious, that we have to work really hard to uncover them. This is a poem that doesn't want to do that, and the title makes that fairly apparent. Now, this is kind of a silly notion. Poems can do whatever the heck they want, including say things that we feel are obvious. And yet, when I read this poem, I sometimes misread it. I expect it to say, instructions for not giving up. But it doesn't. Using on not giving up presents the poem more as an observation or as instructions that have been found, but maybe not yet followed. This isn't the poet providing advice for her reader or even suggesting that she has learned to follow this advice herself. The poem becomes an observation that these instructions exist. We, as readers, can choose whether or not to follow them, should we pay closer attention to nature and what it can offer us. Besides, you know, sustenance. Our next poem is The Facebook Sonnet by Sherman Alexie, and it has a sense of humor, more than most of the poems we've used for this class, actually. But it isn't really here for laughs. It isn't being silly. Instead, the poem has an underlying irony to it, the same kind of irony that would be used if, at lunch, your friend says to you, here, sniff this moldy sandwich. It smells great. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Irony is one of the hardest working tones in literature. Literary devices often work together to create meaning and to comment on the word, but only irony does this by not saying what it is trying to say. It hides its truths because if you figure them out, you'll understand what's really being said with a, so, so much clarity that you can recognize the truth from the lies. It also means that if you figure out the irony, it is possible that everything else, including other literary devices, is a lie too, is a distraction. In the case of that disgusting sandwich that I mentioned before, well, your friend is really saying, I'm not a good friend. Your discomfort will make me laugh. Please don't trust me. Because of its ability to reveal important information, irony, or ironic, is our secret passphrase. Feel free to refer to any of the specific kinds of irony we have talked about this year, which include verbal, situational, and dramatic irony, although not all of these may apply to the poem. For the writing task, I want you to work on sentence variety. We've practiced this before by trying to avoid the repetition of specific words and phrases, especially at the beginning of sentences. This time, we are going to focus on sentence type variety. What I want you to do is use two specific types of sentences in your paragraph. The first type is called a telegraphic sentence. This is a sentence about five words or less. You shouldn't use these often, but what happens if you find a spot to use just one of them in your writing, especially after a much larger sentence? They drive ideas home. Like that last four-word sentence I just used. The other sentence type is a complex sentence, which includes one dependent clause and one independent clause. We've practiced them in class, and they're fairly easy, actually. Just start a sentence that uses a subordinating conjunction, like although, when, however, or because. And because a clause that begins with a subordinating conjunction can't be its own sentence, you end up adding an independent clause to it to make it grammatically correct. 
I'll attach a drawing to this assignment and our references section to make this more clear. Be sure to include one complex sentence and one telegraphic sentence in your response to the Facebook sonnet. Oh, and one last thing about sonnets. As we talked about in class previously, sonnets are most associated with love poetry, expressing love, calling for love, describing things that are loved, that kind of thing. It's kind of weird that this poem is written to social media and the internet, isn't it? Here's the poem. The Facebook Sonnet by Sherman Alexie. Welcome to the Endless High School Reunion. Welcome to past friends and lovers, however kind or cruel. Let's undervalue and unmend the present. Why can't we pretend every stage of life is the same? Let's exhume, resume, and extend childhood. Let's play the games that occupy the young. Let's fame and shame intertwine. Let one's search for God become public domain. Let church.com become our church. Let sign up, sign in, and confess here at the altar of loneliness. Students, be sure to use the word irony or ironic in your response because it is our secret passphrase. Also include two specific types of sentences, complex and telegraphic. Just one of each is fine. All our previous writing tasks are still great guidelines for strong writing, such as using the author's last name by itself, claims with a specific what and how, brief summaries, short and single word quotations, maybe a semicolon. Avoid the word quote and use more than one quote in your sentences. Keep creating variety in your sentence structures and word choices. This sonnet has four stanzas, but if you want to be real specific, the first three are actually called quatrains because they are groups of four lines, and the last one is called a couplet. These stanzas mean you may end up using double slashes and single slashes, especially since many of these lines are enjammed. This is where one line continues onto the next without any punctuation between, without permitting a pause, despite them appearing separate. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, May 5th, 2021, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two, and any evidence you use should be short, embedded smoothly into your sentences, and fully explained. And only reply to responses that have actual claims, not summaries. If a student only attempts to summarize the poem, they likely aren't giving you something to agree or disagree with. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like our class to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class and structural activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 51 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.